the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your host, Patrick Lunn. And if I was a vehicle from the Dresden Files, I'd be Ebenezer McCoy's pickup. With me is my co-host... Rob Davis. If I was an instrument from the Dresden Files, I would be... I don't know. One of Harry's <laughs> many... <laughs> <laughs> you caught me unprepared. I uh, yeah, I was thinking that if you went for a vehicle, you'd be uh, Harry's Blue Beetle. It's weird how my mind didn't immediately snap to that. I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you went. You went to an instrument. <laughs> yeah, like originally I was going to be like the Black Staff, but then I was like, no, I, I should choose something that's not related to Ebenezer. No, I couldn't think of anything else. Anyway, this is our Battleground spoiler cast. Um, And today we are talking everything Battleground. Me and Rob have devoured uh, the new book in the Dresden Files series um, over the last week. And we wanted to get this out as soon as possible for you guys so that we can get into all the little nitty gritties. Nitty gritties, nitty gritty, Which either, um, whichever, for for you guys today. Um, so I think the best place to start is Rob. You finished it this morning. Yeah, about three hours ago. What, yeah, man. What is your immediate thoughts, feelings, reactions? Um, I mean, I think I posted a tweet on the uh, Twitter this morning, which was just, I think it just said, "Holy shit." Or oh my god, <laughs> one or the other. But I mean that sums up like everything. Like obviously, um, chapter twenty two was the moment which I think I messaged you being like, no fucking way. Um, mm-hmm. and I think just every chapter... before we say what what that is, absolute last ditch spoiler warning. We are going to get into all of the big twists and turns of Battleground. If you are planning to read it soon um, or really if you're planning to read the Dresden Files as a whole turn off now go listen to our, our old episodes go listen to all of that great stuff um, because Battleground has some of the biggest twists in the series and the biggest moments and if we get into it now you it's going to ruin stuff for you so go listen to other stuff first if, you're, if you've read Battlegrounds or if you're never planning to read Battlegrounds ever in your life now, uh, keep listening. Sorry, go on, Rob. That's right. Um, yeah, chapter twenty-two was the moment that really like sucker punched me. Um, and then like every chapter since then, there was just some kind of either a moment that felt like fan service, which I've been waiting for, or or just something really friggin' intense. Um, yeah, no Ferrovax though, which. Is is probably the only thing I'm disappointed about after all the hype of him appearing in these talks. But yeah, it felt a bit like uh, the princess is in another castle with him. Uh, <laughs> like, if, oh yeah, Fairfax is just holding the other side. Don't worry about it. Yeah, if I remember right, I think a lot there were like lumps of like key members of that uh, peace talks that went to guard or went to assist in guarding the gates, the stone gate or whatever it mm-hmm. was. From what I remember, I don't know. Feel free to call us out on that. 
that that was my my understanding as well. Yeah, there were so many moments so, like oh yeah, like massive lump of whatever like landed from the sky on top of the Titan, and I was like, oh my god, Ferravax, and it would just be like a bear or something. <laughs> so um, I gave kind of my my immediate reactions on our last episode of the podcast. Um, so I think kind of the best thing to do is if we go through the book a little and just shout out some bits that we want to talk about. Yeah. So we kick off with Harry coming back from uh, Demon Reach and immediately goes into a fight with a Kraken. <laughs> um, oh, which... Man. I thought was awesome. He, it's the first time I think we've really seen Harry's soul gaze with like an otherworldly creature. I think, um, yeah. And that that was so cool. And Lara Wraith and Molly jumping in as well. Just immediately you get in that like kind of Avengery feel of people, people that you wouldn't normally see coming together all like having each other's backs. Yeah. Which was really cool. Um, and I enjoyed. Um, I think you said, uh, and I definitely agree that this, if you if if you read Peace Talks a couple of months ago, it was a little bit jarring to go straight into an action scene. Yeah. Um, and I definitely had that. Like the first couple of, it it almost feels like stepping onto a treadmill that's already going at like four miles an hour or whatever. Yeah, um, part, part of me was thinking that going straight into what we got was a bit too much of a jump. So I was, what I expected was the whole scene on the boat, maybe like some kind of skirmish in Chicago, and then maybe like a time skip. Yeah. Like a bit of a Terminator 2, Armageddon's already happened kind of thing. I could have seen that. Not, not um, from that kind of extreme, but I don't know. I was expecting... So the next section that we get where Harry arrives back at where his old house used to be, where the old boarding house used to be, the... Oh, the Good Future Society, is that it? Uh, I, kept think, I keep thinking Future Foundation, but then I remember that's Fantastic Four, but it's either, I think it's Brighter Future society or brighter future or I something. Think, I think it is. Uh, brighter future. Yeah, it is the brighter future society. So he, yeah. he arrives back there and kind of goes into like a war council sort of deal. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that would be where the book would start. Would be like the, the council planning for war and that you wouldn't really have much between Demon Reach and getting there. Mm. Uh, but I can also see it sets the pace. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, which, and let's not mince words on this, this is the most action-packed book you might ever read in the urban fantasy genre. Um, it does not slow down. There are not there is not a moment of slow dialogue. It is 
balls to the wall, just fight, 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 fight. Um, which is really tough to to write, I think, because Jim does a very good job of not repeating himself and continuing the upwards. Um, if you like, charted it on a graph of like awesomeness, I guess mm. it it feels like it keeps going up. It doesn't feel like it plateaus at any point. Um, I, but I know that other people have said that they feel like it does. So yeah, I I, I saw a few posts being like, um, oh, it's just one long battle scene, or it's like one battle scene into another. But I thought it was ha- <laughs> excuse me, I thought it was handled really well. Like you get the um, I think the first major kind of battle that I consider to be, and it could be a bit of a game changer is uh, the black. Uh, Black Court Vampires. Yeah, and... so after there's kind of the general meetup, um, Harry goes out to kind of help her in Chicago, and they end up at Graceland Cemetery with a couple of wardens and listeners to listeners to winds and River Shoulders, mm. um, and they they come across a group of necromancers who are revealed to be the Black Court, including the head of the Black Court, Dracul. Oh yes. Yes, sorry, I, I was just filling in for the yeah, such a folks at home. such a cool and stylish introduction as well. But um, it reminded me of have you seen the I think it's either late seventies, early eighties film The Warriors. Yes. Yeah, about the uh right. that, that gang that gets framed for the murder of a gang leader, uh, and they're traveling through like whatever city it is, trying to get back to their territory before while being chased by all these other rival gangs and shit. Um, yeah, it it reminded me a bit of that, like how you have Harry, uh, these wardens, and eventually Murph joins them as well, and I think Buzz joins them. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, and the um, Alphas as well. Um, and it feels like they've got this mission, which is get to like where the Titan is. I mean, I know that's <laughs> a very kind of bare bones idea of the plot here, but it it feels like very much. They've got to get from A to B, and just all this shit happens on their way to that. Yeah. And it's like how in video games, the closer you get to that final level, the more difficult the encounters are. It's, and it felt very much like that, which I was, I felt was handled really well instead of, like we say, just being pointless kind of fights, you know? Yeah, it made me think of it. It made me think of a couple of different things. Um, it made me think of uh, the movie Cloverfield. Yeah. Uh, where there's like a, a Godzilla kind of style attack on a city and you're following like a group of people moving through it. But the so, so the camera is kind of focusing on this group of people, but where they're going is kind of following the course of the the battle and encounter and yeah. stuff. Um, and there's a lot more showing than telling, uh, which I, is always good. Um, the other thing that it made me think about was like, um, like a, a historical, I guess like a, like a historical report on a fight or something where we were seeing like the little turning points that led up to the victory. And mm. of course things got more dire as they moved towards that um so 
I can almost see like a map of Chicago and like uh, like numbered bits following like Dresden's encounters through the night. Uh, like at ten o four, Dresden and the wardens encountered the Black Court. At ten o six, he shot on Dracul and left. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I I I think it, it's. It's really you can really visualize it. I, I've also seen some comparisons to Helm's Deep, yeah. Um, which I can I can definitely see that like Helm's Deep uh, in the Peter Jackson uh, Lord of the Rings is very. Um, it's a very long fight scene by any standards, and I've seen some really good analysis of it uh, where it tells like a, there's a whole story through Helm's Deep. That like it break it, it actually follows a narrative arc of like, um, like uh, inciting the incident and then, um, all all like the, the like stuff building up to a climax and payoff and, um, it's it's very cool if you look into it from like a narrative point of view, mm. um, and I felt like this did that very well like it had that structure to it where everything built to a climax and we got kind of like a, a, a major climax in the, the battle, uh, the battle of the bean. And then like, um, a kind of more personal, but even more significant climax, um, with Marco and Dresden, and uh, a thin new down by the shoreline. Yeah. Um, so so going back a bit, so uh, Harry fights the the Black Court with the help of his allies. Yeah, um, there's some really cool stuff around that. What you thought of uh, Dracul, the Destroyer? Yeah. So, and am I am I right um, in thinking that it's revealed there that he's a Starborn as well? Because that's what I took from it. I thought it was more that he he only drank the blood of Starborns. Yeah. Um, which may, may make him a Starborn. I'm not sure yeah. how that works. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed um, Dracul. I thought at first I, I was a little um, I was also disappointed that he wasn't like as he didn't seem super powerful. Yeah. But then when you think about the Black Court in general, um, they're they're always kind of seen as the pariah, the pariahs and the outsiders, and like they've they've seen better days. Yeah. Um, and I guess it kind of gave that. Um, it was a really good way to reintroduce the concept of like fighting against a will, fight, fighting like a, a high-level enemy and how yeah. that works in the Dresden Files. I think um, it's um, pretty interesting that he's not like Mavra or any of the other Black Court like mentioned or seen. Yeah. The moment he... um, oh, I can't remember. I can't even fucking remember what was going on. Um, Usual kind of beat-down stuff, but he just bamps like, next to Harry. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. And I know, kind of ramped up the kind of threat level, I guess. Definitely, definitely, and the um, something I, I really appreciated throughout this book, but uh, 
kicked in here, people died. Like, yeah. They weren't, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that they were like super, super important, but I was really sad that uh, the the Texan guy that fights alongside Harry yeah. a lot, I uh, mean, that he died. Do you think we'll see, I think three wardens died against the Black Hawk. Do you think we'll see them again? Because I think two of the bodies were taken, weren't they? Which I think was the yes, Wild you... Bill and the woman whose name I can't remember. Yes, and then the the English guy, he got bounced out and he got like banished basically. Yeah, from um, into that black hole. Which, I, I it would be really cool if he found a way out of that, but yeah. I doubt he will. Um, it depends where where Jim wants to take it. I suppose if the Black Court are going to be a major villain further down the line, then maybe maybe. Uh, he will have them come back, and if not, then maybe not. Mm. Um, I could definitely see like Wild Bill coming back as a as an enemy at some point, just to just to give Dresden a bit of a a lurch and a bit of a, a fright, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel that invested in those characters anyway. So I feel if if they were coming back as Black Court vamps, vampires, um. I feel, and especially in that capacity as an enemy of the Dresden, I think that I've put more investment in them, or at least catch my interest a lot more. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that much investment in the rest of the Wardens, but while Bill's been been in a few times, and I've always kind of enjoyed him, because he's just, he's just a bit of a different personality, I guess, than the, the normal wizards we see. Um, but yeah, um, I, I completely agree. Uh, the other bit I liked about it was that um, it showed that Harry wasn't the only person who could like change things, I guess. like So there's a point where him and Ramirez are fighting Marvra um, and they, they beat her and then um, they're like, oh, we need, to go and, we need to go and help River Shoulders and Listeners to Wind. And by the time they get to them, really shoulders and listens to wind have dealt with Dracul to the point of him fleeing. Um, which just showed to me that like, oh, okay, so other people can actually have victories here. It doesn't it's only it's not only when Dresden appears that things change. Yeah. Um, which is a lot more like a real battle and a real war. Like it's never just one person, it's not just Aragon running around a battlefield. Yeah. Um being the only the only agent to change, I, so that was cool. I feel that's a good point, like a good moment to mention as well. River fucking shoulders in this book. Holy shit. Oh my god. He I think Jim I think Jim loves him and I'm beginning to catch some of that love. Like there were moments where I thought he was gonna die. Like I think against the Black Court as well and a bit later on. But man, every time it's yeah. like it's like the Hulk. Every time he shows up, he's like doing a battle cry, and he t- he's he's like taking off a tie or like putting his glasses away, and he's just beating the shit out of things. It kept making me think of uh, Beast from the X Men. Yeah, that's probably a better comparison. <laughs> um, I love so because the next bit after the Black Court is when they come across. Is it Rollins? Is the old cop? 
remember. Rollins or Stallings, one of them. Yeah. Things. There, is a, there is a Rollins and there is a Stallings. Uh, so, uh, but they come across like an old cop from earlier in the series who was an old ally of Murphy's uh, who calls her Karen and used to work with Murphy's dad. Yeah. Um, and there's a great bit where like Rose Shoulders is like, oh, I forgot my glasses, so I probably shouldn't be around humans. They'll <laughs> freak out. Uh, and I was just like, oh, oh, River. Um, but that that's a really sweet scene as well because something I really liked throughout this is that Jim still found a place for the people of Chicago. It would yeah. be really easy to just be like, oh, yeah, they all just like locked down for the night and they were fine. Um, but everyone had to do something in this. Yeah, I mean, that's... He, I, I, I liked Harry's speech as well. He gives to like the citizens of Chicago being like, <laughs> it sounded like a, like that New Yorker in Spider in the first Spider-Man film, like the Sam Raimi one, where they're like just throwing yeah. junk and shit at the Green Goblin. It's like, you pick on one of us, you pick on all of us. I I got that kind of vibe. Definitely, definitely, um, and I think that that's. So something about the Dresden Files or something that has been present throughout the entirety of the Dresden Files has been the whole like um, it, 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 is, it is a Chicago based story. We don't we very rarely see anything away from Chicago and if it is it's either the Never Never or it's a very brief flashback to something that Harry did on like a, a one-off mission or mm. Harry has to go somewhere to get something. Um and I think it was a great way to make the city a character was yeah. to like get people involved. And that extends even further. So we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but um, Harry, because he is seen as like a, a champion of Chicago, develops this uh, intellectus that um, basically he starts walking through the streets and people start feeling drawn to like follow him um which i i thought was just such a super cool idea for like oh the city is behind him and he builds up this group of about um one and a half thousand people Mm. behind him um and he can feel when one of them goes down he can feel how they die he knows them all um and it's like the ultimate um it was such a great way to to track the battle because yeah. all the way through it he's feeling when people are getting hit um and he's immediately aware all oh, right my 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 soldiers are fighting over here they're fighting over there this many have died this super super magical attack has killed so many of my forces and it was a great way to be like oh they're suffering the city's suffering or to be like, fuck yeah, he's got a charge ready to go in. Um, I freaking love that. I thought that was amazing. Great idea from Jim. Um, so before we hit that point, though, uh, so uh, he meets up with the cops. Um, also, the uh, Rudolph and... So I think it's Rudolph and Stalins are the ones that are trying to track Harry down and Rawlins is the old cop. He's 
the way that I think it goes. Think so we had that not... Sorry? I think you're correct. I'm going to look it up anyway, because it's going to annoy me. So there's a moment where Rudolf, Rudolf and Stalins try to stop Harry uh, and arrest him. And uh, Stalins soul gazes with Harry. And it's a great uh, setup moment where um, Harry is like, I, sometimes I worry about sharing myself because I worry how people will react up to my soul because I can't see it, only they can. Uh, and Stalin seems to kind of be on Harry's side, at least to some degree. Mm. Um, and then he sees into Harry's soul and he's like, I never want to be around you. Like, uh, Rudolph, we have to go. This guy is too much of a fucking problem for us cops to deal with. At least that's how I read it. Um, yeah, pretty much the same. And uh, and it's a great little setup for for chapter twenty two, um, where oh. Harry's talking about how he always worries about sharing his soul with people because it, it seems to terrify them. Um. So I thought that was a really good moment. Um, so we move on from Harry meeting up with the cops, Harry uh, and the and the bit where Harry they tried to arrest him, to the charge of the Jotuns uh, coming out of the the lake. Yeah. Um, I found them a bit out of place here. Yeah, same. It was a bit. Mm. Because it was like, oh, cool, we've got like Cthulhu monsters, we've got the Octacongs, um, we've got the Hunters, which are a brand new enemy for this one, which are like groups of 13 warriors that as you kill one, all the rest of them get more powerful, uh, which I thought was really cool. I thought that was awesome. Um, Yeah. And then it it was a good way to do like infantry in a different way that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, and then it was like, okay, so you've got all these nightmarish horrors, and there's giants. And it was like, <laughs> okay, well, fine. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but the combat with them was really cool. Um, the way that, like, the Ein Hajaran fight them, where I loved the moment where the Ein Hajaran, like, the, the giants coming out of the sea, and all the Ein Hajaran just go, Bleh! like... <laughs> <laughs> Proper felt like like football hooligans, just like yeah, get in there, lads. <laughs> um, and it talks about them like big grins on their faces as they're going into combat, um, which I loved. I thought that was really cool. Um, and then we get to like Harry and Ebenezer um, team up to take on a bunch of Jotuns. Um, what did you think about Harry and Ebenezer in this book? Um, I'm not too sure. I mean, the, the, they only had a couple of interactions, and and it, it it's weird how it feels like their whole conflict towards the end of peace talk didn't really happen. I mean, I I get the whole this, thing this of thing. like I get that them probably just pushing it aside because what's going on is probably far more important. But it, it at the same time, 
I don't know. I mean, especially with the outcome towards the end of the book, I thought was a bit weird as well. But mm. this this is what got me. So I saw a couple of uh, YouTube videos around um, Battleground uh, saying very similar things. Uh, I'm just going to get the name of the YouTuber. Uh, Mike's book reviews. I saw his spoiler yeah. talk, and yes. I also saw Daniel Green's, of course. Uh, we'll be linking to both of them, um, and both of them pulled it out as well as something a bit strange that Ebenezer was prepared to kill Harry not yeah. an hour ago, and then they're they're back to fighting alongside each other. Yeah. Um. It yeah. I don't know. I, I think if I was Jim, I would have played it a bit cooler between them. Yeah, like, um, I feel that that scene is a bit weird, but then I find it kind of, like, more... Not okay. Um, it feels more in place later on when they're all, when everyone's kind of, like, teamed up to fight the Titan. Because, yeah, I, mean, and, I, 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 I guess I guess that's because there's very little interaction between them. Harry's just been, like, knocked to the side temporarily, and he's watching Ebenezer fight. Yeah. And there's been a lot of... Um, there's a lot of people like putting personal grudges aside to work together, yeah. I guess, at that point. So everyone's kind of on board with each other. Um, but yeah, especially when, the, when they're in like the War Council kind of set up right at the beginning of the book, I expected Ebenezer to really like blank Harry. Yeah. Um, but nope. I don't know. It's a weird one. Uh, I, I'd be interested to see. I mean, Ebenezer kind of talks about it at one point and says that, like, kind of you do what you want, but uh, I'm always going to try and fight for your soul, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a good way of handling it, but I felt like that should have come like at the end of the book almost. Yeah. Um, after <laughs> them being quite cold with each other. But yeah, uh, so so they work together. They take on a bunch of Jotuns, uh, and then we get um, one. So I, th I think it's one of the Jotuns falls through the parking garage they're using as cover or something like that. Yeah. Um, and Murphy, Butters, uh, Sonia, and the Alphas all appear uh, to help Harry. Um, and they'd all been kind of put away to like... Well, the Knights of the Cross, no one knew where they were. But the others were mm. kind of... Held, held up in Mac's Bar, Max. weren't they? Yeah. And Mac's Bar was kind uh, of a refuge for those who knew what was going on but weren't able to... I guess fight. Yeah, I thought I found Max Bar. The stuff with Max Bar was really interesting. Where Harry used the 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 plaque from Jesus in Hades. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was the plaque from the cross, and it meant that you'd have to kill Mac to then harm his bar or anyone within the grounds. Yeah, I mean that sheds a bit more on what Mac could be. Um, if he's recognising that and putting him down as um, I'm basing this off of Dogma by the way, the Kevin Smith film um, I think it was I can't remember the skin game or the or Cold Days where 
whenever it was that an outsider broke into his bar and started throwing shit around and it and it acknowledged Mac calling him and uh, the like step aside watcher um that there's um I can't remember isn't angel like a group of angels but in dogma Jason Lee's character is referred to as the Gregory and he's like I think like silent no sorry Bob Jay is like oh what the fuck is a Gregory and he's like it means I'm a watcher all I do is watch I'm not a fighter and you know why why is he a demon now kind of thing um but yeah that's that's all I've got to go on with Matt he's been referred to as a watcher he recognizes the whole like plaque thing mm. uh, yeah uh, either way it's interesting I feel and I, I'd be quite I mean I, I obviously I would love a fucking answer but I'd be fine with kind of what we know about him and Mac not to be involved in actual like fighting or in the story in such a major way yeah um there's a couple of, of hints that we've had to the series. So Jim himself said uh, that he'd already told us who he is, but you'd have to be pretty nerdy. Yeah. Um, and I think that that goes down what you've just said, really. Um, I could imagine that being the case, that he's some sort of watcher. Um, yeah, it's interesting. No one seems to have really decoded it. So uh, I'm very interested to see. I think I think it's got to come up surely in the next couple of books. Yeah, who he is. It probably will. I'd be surprised if it didn't. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, that that was really cool. And, and uh, so Murphy was supposed to kind of sit on the sidelines, and instead she comes with the others to help Harry in the fight. Which, of course, she's going to do that. She's Murphy. There's no other way that that's going to happen. Um, so they they start making their way through Chicago. Harry gets his uh, Chicago entourage of mortals. Um, and they start setting up defences uh, in... Oh, can you remember what the park's called? It's where the, the bean is in Chicago. Not off the top of my head, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm just going to get it. Um, so it's the Cloud Gate in Millennium Park. Um, so they start setting up around Millennium Park. Um, and it's obvious that Jim's gone there and really thought about how you would orchestrate a battle in Amer in Millennium Park, mm. which I thought was very cool. Um, and even looked at like what was underneath the grass, how was this place built, like how would it, how would it all work? Um, and just looking at pictures of it now, I can really picture what he was talking about, which is cool. Um, so he sets up all his all his peeps, um, and they realise that there are some Jotun that are coming, um, and that if the Jotun get to Millennium Park, they're because they're giants, they're going to be able to wreck shit on an enormous scale. Um, so Harry needs to go and deal with those, um, before they can come and wreck the fortifications. Um, also Harry looks inside the bean and Marcone has stashed thousands of shotguns in it. <laughs> um, 
which I thought was pretty cool. Um, it, it felt a little hand wavy, but I think it's acceptable. I don't know yeah. how you feel. I, I was fine with that. I mean, Marcone's been building power for such a long time that I think anything... It, he was basically preparing for a situation like this, so it doesn't really bother me at all. Cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, they so they do that, and Harry heads off to fight the Jotuns, and he ends up against uh, this fire giant that... Um, is essentially like the Jotun commander, I guess. Um, And there's a great moment where they're talking about all the great deeds they've done. And Harry lists off all of the deeds that he's done. And I was like, holy shit, he he has actually done all those things. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, The man is an absolute baller. Um, And yeah, uh, and the fire giant lists off that he's fought against he has fought against Thor. Uh, I'm still. I'm not great on my ths and f's sometimes, so I need to take time on that one. Um, but yeah. So uh, and uh, that was like, oh my god. So Thor is a thing, apparently. Yeah. Um, and then they go into combat against each other. Um, at which point, Murphy rocks up with a rocket launcher. And just destroys the fire giant, a fire giant who has survived combat with Thor. Murphy takes down with a rocket launcher in what is maybe one of the coolest moments for Murphy in the entire series. Did, did that remind you of? Um, I think it's season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where there's that big ass demon thing, and he's like. No mortal weapon can kill me. And Buffy pulls out the rocket launcher and it's just like, that was then, this is now, and just bazookas him. For oblivion. Yeah. Like that it just reminded me of that, and I was like proper fist pumping the air on a bus. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um Oh man, that that was such a great moment. Um So the dust settles as the giant hits the ground. And uh, Harry is like, we need to go back and, and talk to like the, the civilians, go and see how they are kind of thing. Uh, so they go to go and see how the civilians are, at which point a nervous Rudolph, who is terrified because of all the monsters going around the city, fires his gun at the first figure he sees coming towards him, which turns out to be Murphy. Oh. And oh my god, that killed me. I think what made it worse was the whole description of um, oh, like they're about to soul gaze, like as she's like dying, and like it starts and then it just kind of fizzles out. Yeah, and there's that Harry talking. He's never soul gazed with Murphy because yeah. he's always been afraid of what she'd see in him. And there was... Uh, where is it? There, it? there was a line around the, at that point where it was like um, oh, a house without a home and now the light's gone out kind of thing. And I, I, yeah. I, I had to stop reading for about 
I mean, for about 10 minutes, I wasn't that extreme. I don't know what happens. But I was like, I had to stop, like, go upstairs, wake up Kerry and be like, Murphy's dead. And yeah, she she didn't realize I was talking about Dresden Files because I was like, oh, Harry and Murph almost got together so many times. It's been teased for ages and now she's dead. And he was like, who? And I had to be like, oh, Dresden Files. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, oh, yeah, Murphy. Yeah, sure. Whatever. I, I was listening to it at about one AM, and my and my partner Amy was uh, was asleep, and I had to wake her up, and and she was like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" And I was like, "You're not you're not gonna get it." And she was like, "Well, explain it to me in, in like a, a different term." And I was like, "Dumbledore just died." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and Amy was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> um. Man, it that killed me. It that was. It's the I, fact you you want you want all your characters to go down in a blaze of glory. Yeah, I think. Um, I'm, I'm. I mean, like like we, were, like we were saying in um, I think the peace talks episode and maybe a few others where we were predicting, like, I know character deaths and stuff. I think we both said Murphy, but. I always I don't know if we specified how, but I always imagined it would be like a blaze of glory kind of thing. Like F you would be like lunging at him with like a spear or some shit and she would like basically pull what Hendrix did. Yeah. Which we'll get to in a bit. But um Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I expected like that, you know, proper hero's death blaze of glory, not just to be gunned down by that weasel Rudolph, you can't. Yeah. Pardon my French. But it it felt very real um, mm. to me. I there there was something weirdly poetic that it was it was special investigations that were the ones that ended up taking her down. Mm. Um, that she put so much of her life into. I guess. Um, yeah, and she and she did. I got a little bit of a feeling when she rocked up with the rocket launcher. Mm. Like, this is an extremely awesome moment. This is maybe the most awesome moment that Murph's had in the series. Something's about to happen. Yeah, it was. It was kind of too. I don't know. It was too, it, it was too much of a high for it to yeah. then. It couldn't keep being a high. Um, and the reaction that Harry has, oh my goodness, it's incredible. The, um, the, the whole like chapter following where he's chasing Rudolph, he just abandons everything to chase him down. Oh, man. Yeah. And there's a bit that and I really want uh, to focus on in a sec. But yeah. like he, he, he chases Rudolph down and he's like pinning him up with his shield and basically suffocating him. And I think that the whole thing is that if he, if he had done it while he was still armed at the moment he shot Murphy, it would have been not not okay, but the Knights of the Cross probably would have been like, justice is done, kind of, but not really. Whereas at this point, <laughs> Rudolph's like curled up into a ball and like pissing himself quite literally. And yeah. it, it takes 
two Knights of the Cross to calm Harry down, and the fact that Harry just goes in and fights them both as well. Yeah. Um, cool. When I was like, he, he's not going to fight Sonya. He, he's not going to do it. And when he did, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. This this is where Harry goes bad. Um, and I really think that th- there is a universe where this is the start of Harry's like fall. Mm. Um, but that moment where uh, Waldo Butters stands in front of him and we get the payoff for the setup in Peace Talks that the sword can only uh, injure the wicked. Yeah. Um, and then, and Harry's like, that sword's going to do nothing to me, Butters. I'm not one of the bad guys. Uh, and goes to goes to go through the sword and it burns him. Yeah. Um, and Harry's like, oh shit, I'm... I'm I'm on the wrong side. Suddenly, um, that that was really powerful to me. Same. Um, like, I think the whole kind of chapters around Murphy's death were really powerful. Like, there's a bit where um, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a tiny bit, but the reason I'm mentioning it is because it will pick up on a point that I want to continue in a bit, which is um, he yeah. takes the bot Murphy's body to like a safeish point. For like the where he can collect it later, where which is where Mab is, and yeah, I feel Mab's reaction to it, and kind of their interactions throughout the entirety of this book, highlight I know kind not highlight, I guess kind of humanize Mab a lot more, because I'm I think previous books Did you we've been loving Mab, yes, and I. There are Sorry. two things Sorry. I wanted to. That's right. There are two things I wanted to mention now, just so I didn't forget them later on. Which is, it humanizes her in such a way that we've not seen before. Because, as you know, in previous books, she's basically just walking around with Harry on a leash. And the second yeah. one is matter of perspective. We're getting things first person from Harry as well. And you think of like Ebenezer's thing, and you know, why the White Council are. You know, having discussions on kicking him out of the council is that he's walking around with monsters, but he can't see it. And I yeah. thought that was, I mean, that that might be me digging a bit into it too much on the second point, but I thought it was a, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of make that uh, commentary. No, definitely. Um, so Jim humanized Marcone over the years, and I think he does a great job of doing it here with Mab, uh, where you really feel for these characters that we originally see as evil and you realize, no, it's more complex than that. Um, and something that, that we'll get into a, a little bit in, in like 10 minutes or so, I'm sure, um, is I realized in this book that the, the trait of winter is defiance. I think more than anything else, yeah. um, Harry is a very defiant character, whether that's defiance against evil or defiance against societal norms or whatever and Mab 2 shows herself to be a defiant character more than anything um, which I thought was freaking awesome and and also that seems to be one of the ways that you can fight against the will of gods and monsters is defiance um, mm. which yeah was really cool 
Uh, so yeah, so uh, we talked about the Murphy scene. Basically, they head back, and Mab's like, "Put her here; she'll be safe. Um, we've got stuff that we need to do now." Uh, kind of thing. And this is where we go into the fight, uh, the, the the proper fight. Uh, Ethinu rocks up. Um, we've got the Formorians, uh led by. Who's the Formorian leader? King Cobb. Yeah. Uh, and um, we've got the. Oh, we've got. Is his name Mask? The the other guy, the guy in charge of the like, um, the humans, on their side. Is it Listen? Or is, is it, it Listen? Listen. I, listen. I can never remember. I think Listen is the one. Yes, I think it is because at first I was like, "Has listened to Win like been a traitor?" Yeah, uh, like, I, I had the same thought because I completely forgot about this character, and I, I, I shit you not, I was just sat there on, I was listening to it on the bus ride, and I was just sat there being yeah. like, "Have I just tuned out for a, like a really important moment here?" But. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that that that's a really cool bit where. Something that I love that Jim does there is uh, he has one of the Malks, which are these kind of like evil cat monster mm. things, um, sneak up on on like a a war war council on the other side. So you see how the other side are, are deciding things and working things through, and their perspective. Yeah. Um, and Dresden's able to see through that Malk, so you really do get like that perspective, and you see how King Corb and uh, Athinu and listen all kind of talk to one another and how they see each other. So it, we've got a bit of their, their kind of interpersonal dynamics. And I think that that's really important when you're doing a battle to see how both sides are, are fighting and treating each other. Definitely. Um, but yeah, uh, so so uh, we see that and we see that discussion kind of the whole plans um, uh, of both sides and basically what it comes down to is Athinu is going to use the eye of her father to uh, annihilate Mab. Uh, and then with Mab destroyed, uh, there won't be any more big protectors, really, to stop Athinu stomping all over Chicago and beginning a new age of darkness where humanity learns to fear what goes bump in the night once more. Uh, and Mab's like, nah, not happening. Um, so, uh, Butters and Harry, Sonia leads the humans, uh, along with the alphas, uh, and Butters and Harry, uh, uh, line up either side of Mab for this big charge with the rest of winter. Um, and Mab makes this really dense fog cloud kind of thing going on. Uh, and so Harry... Butters and Mab charge into the fray and uh, Mab reveals her first kind of trick, which is that anyone hit by the Blades of Winter becomes frozen solid in stone, um, which just makes these like furrows of dividing the troops by making like actual physical barriers of stone between warriors, uh, which is super cool. And the other thing is the reason that she's gone for this like mist thing going on uh, is that Mab is running about 30 to 40 illusions of herself leading 
charges oh, all across the battlefield. I love that. So that everyone feels like they're fighting Mab, not just fighting Winter. Um, oh, that's not forget she's uh, riding that demonic unicorn thing as well. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> and that unicorn just is out for blood. Uh, it is insane. I love it. Um, I'm, I need to see if there is Dresden Files unicorn art. I'm sure there is. Oh, man. Uh, Dresden unicorn art. Oh, yes. There is some cool stuff out there. Definitely go and, go and take a look at it. Um, Link it in the description. <laughs> yeah. There's also Dresden riding um, a My Little Pony, which I'm sure will make some people very, very happy. Um, I don't know which My Little Pony that is. I'm sure someone could tell me. Oh, okay, it's Twilight Sparkle. I don't know who that is, but yeah. Not a wife. Cool. Uh, For you bronies out there. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the, the second one in is Marshland Unicorn by Len Yan on DeviantArt. Definitely, definitely uh, recommend taking a look at that one because that looks how I imagine the unicorn in Dresden's look. Mm. Um, so yeah, how did you? what did you think of this part of the fight, this big charge? I absolutely loved it. And I mean, I think a little bit before this, it might have been just before Murphy's death, when they're separated from Ebenezer and Carlos and the rest of their allies. There was a moment I really liked where um, Harry expresses a bit of concern for them. He's like, "God, what if, what if they're not, what if they didn't survive? I've lost my friend and my grandfather." And yeah, but um, I, I mean, one thing I actually love about this book, and I feel in a way it could be seen as a bit of a weakness for the book, actually, a bit of like plot armor, I guess. But how yeah. reliant. Harry needs to be on the winter mantle. Yeah, and um, I, 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 I think it's, I think it, as per usual with like you know how in the early books he'd like use Fuego like once and he'd be like that's it I'm drained and exhausted. I feel that's done yes. really well here with like the closer we get towards the end it's kind of like my arms my shoulders dislocated, the wind like. I don't have any legs, but the winter mantle makes me think I do, and I'm not feeling any pain at the moment because of it. <laughs> and yeah. he somehow just manages to stand up still and is like, you know, I am Harry Dresden. Click. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's that's one of the things I love, and I love this whole battle charge. I love Mab finally seeing her, like, kick some ass, because I don't think we've really seen her do anything before, have we? Um, I think we there's been a lot of imp- I can't, nothing comes to mind, but we No, I think there's been a lot of her and Harry have got quite tense with each other, I think. Yeah. So my memory there's um, a lot of implication and obviously in Peace Talks Ethne kicks her through like several walls. But yeah. it was pretty cool to see I don't know just how much she can kick ass. Um, the only one that really comes to mind is um, when her and Harry are having an argument early in him being the Winter Knight, and she yeah. like 
she literally like backhands him and he like oh, dents a, um, a metal like wall. Yeah, when he, when in skin game when they're in the elevator and he's like, "Why are we working with yeah. generians?" and she's just like, "Sharp." Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's like she doesn't even use a fraction of her power and she dents a wall. Yeah, I think this elevator. Kind of following on from this whole battle charge thing, there's the moment where she gets like impaled in the neck. Yeah, and like she goes down. I mean. Fuck. And it just there's that description of like I think it affects the mantle of winter for her. And the, the description of Harry like going to a raid, picking her up. Not even picking her up. <laughs> I think it's constantly described and I don't know if I'm just picturing it in my head the complete wrong way. Where it's like I dragged her by the hair. <laughs> it just sounds like this is my opportunity <laughs> to treat her like shit. <laughs> but like it- it's proper brutal. Um, it yeah, really it's like, is. I, dra- I, I dragged her by the hair behind like the fallen unicorn. Um, and yeah, and like the description of like she's coughing up blood and shit. And he's, he looks into her green eyes for a moment and sees like the fear and the panic. And I think that again kind of touches on the humanity of the character. Um, and there's, I, I don't know if I've just never picked up on it before. But there's a lot of reference in this book, and I think mentioned a few times in Peace Talks as well. I think it's mostly from Fnu being like, you know, you were mortal once, blah, 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 blah. And I think even Mab here acknowledges that she wasn't always uh, the queen of air and darkness. She was mortal herself at one time or another. Yes. Which adds to it, but I I, I like that Mab's, Mab's down, and I panicked for a moment thinking she was going to be a death. I'm glad she's not. But like, but how like? Well, even even like, um, Butters says something on the lines of like, "Not again." Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Murph going down. But I, I like how um, Harry's like Butters picks it, and he's like, "There's nothing I can do. She's gonna die." And he's like, "No, if you pull that out, she'll be fine." And he just starts like wrenching it out in like the most painful and excruciating way possible. But at this point. You know, more enemies appear, and Harry's like has this proper like standoff of like I can't remember if it's like three or four enemies he's taking on at once. I think it's is it eleven uh, sorcerers, like four Maureen sorcerers, something like that. And then and because that because that's the that's the really cool bit where so he's so Harry's like trying to fight all these enemy sorcerers, and he's like butters stand on her head and pull. <laughs> Um, and then and then as soon as uh butters gets it out mab like power back on floats up and just like pops one of these formorians and then uses all the chunks of bone and blood to just rocket them into the other ones until there's just this big like icy hailstorm of bones and blood spearing formorian after formorian and I was like, fuck yeah, Mab is a badass. Am I right in thinking that the last couple of surviving ones are just like, fuck that and run off? I think it might be, yeah. And then Ethanu does her like, no, bend to my will to them. And then they're like, oh shit. All right, Ethanu. <laughs> and I think this is oh, directly off. But, um, 
the, the bit where they have like a little cat fight with words, uh, Fnu and Mab, and like Fnu's like, oh, I'm gonna use the eye of Balor on you, and every like <laughs> Harry and like Butters are just like, oh fuck, and hide behind Mab, and yeah. just Mab like just fucking Piccolo takes it, and like. I fucking love that moment so much because, like, her hair gets singed, her arm is, like, destroyed, and she's just stood there, like, and what? And I think it's maybe more badass by, like, the end of the book. I think she mentions it to Harry, and Harry's like... No, she, she says to Harry, I didn't know if I would actually be able to take the full blast. I made some calculations and thought I could take it, but at the same time, I had no idea that I would. Going back to what I was saying about defiance, this is where like the defiance thing really came out for yeah. me because FNU's like bow down to Mab, uh, and she's using the eye of Baylor to try and make her bow down with all this power, uh, and Mab is like, nah, not happening, um, <laughs> and and it's that moment where it's like shit, the the power that she's drawing on is that same Harry Dresden style defiance. Um, yeah against against greater wills um because that felt like something to me that like if i don't know mab had tried to get harry to bow a similar sort of confrontation would have happened yeah um which i thought i thought oh that's really cool and it shows that like that's why harry is the winter knight and and such a great winter knight because it's very similar Uh, um following this we have the second most epic moment of this fight like you're hearing like the horn going, and you're thinking it's the enemy. You know the enemy's won, and the enemy thinks that as well. As well, like Fnu and King Corp are just like, we're you know we're we're doing it. Chicago's ours. <laughs> fucking River Shoulders yeah. just jumps out of like nowhere, just blowing the horn, and like fucking Ebenezer White Council, like the Winter Lady Molly, like everyone else who just hasn't been here for a while, just fucking appears. Oh man! Guns and Roses, welcome to the jungle. Starts up, yeah. Like, uh, as Molly rides that. in winter. The the weird thing about that is sorry. Like, the weird thing about Welcome to the Jungle playing is that I was thinking um completely unrelated to do with D and D real quick. Like when when we used like Clay Hellbringer coming back, I always imagined like I was going to put on Welcome to the Jungle in the background so we could all hear it. And just give some like proper like badass speech before Clay goes into like doing some massive fucking attack. Um, not that the audience needs to know that, but yeah. <laughs> Clay Hellbringer is uh, Rob's old D and D character, and he's still knocking around in our D and D universe, and he's going to be coming back very soon. Uh, so yeah, that would be epic, and you should definitely do that in our game. <laughs> oh, I, I very much plan to. <laughs> Oh man, but um, yeah. Welcome to the jungle. Everything fucking kicks off. The battle is back on, and I I feel this is the bit where we kind of get a, more of a display of Fnu and all and what she's capable of because everyone's having a fucking turn on her. And I think Harry's doing the whole summoning of um the summer court at this point. Yeah, so that was something that got me through the book uh, throughout the book because uh, Mab was like. You've got to wait to the right time to summon her, and they never said who it was. Uh, and I was like, "Who is? Who are they talking about?" Um, 
and I, and I, I really, really was struggling to, to work out, like, was it, I thought it was going to be Molly that he was going to yeah. summon. Uh, and then, and it was like, no, the, the one you're going to summon is Mab. Uh, no, not Mab. Shit, Titania. The one you're going to summon is Titania. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, so the reason that Ethinu was attacking now was because it was midsummer, which is the weakest point for Mab. But that also means it's the strongest point for Titania. So Titania rocks up and is like, it is on. Uh, and oh my God, when Mab and Titania are working together. So Mab just had to kind of take the eye of Baylor. When Ethinu uses it on Titania, Titania just deflects it straight up into the air, which makes like um, a waterfall, which... Uh, water in the the Dresden Files like diffuses magic, so it just diffuses all of the magic that Athenu's troops are like feeding upon. Mm. Um, oh my god, that was so awesome! And then Vatarung turns up as well, riding slight near uh, the the wild, the, the wild hunt as well. Yeah, and the wild hunt come in, and it's just like, come on, Athenu, just give it up. You've got nothing. Um, and that that point where so the immortals go to war, so it's Titania, uh, the Earl King, and um, Old One Eye, Vatarung, Santa Claus, whatever you want to call him, all three fighting um, Athenu, and it describes about how they aren't just fighting in the present; they are fighting in the future to change futures and fates and destinies so that uh like titania moving her foot like an inch to the side will then change something in the future that will then change something uh and then like athenia's trying to counter that by by moving her hand like up a couple of inches um i I was just like oh my god this is an incredible level of power on the field uh where like fates are at play and it was just absolutely mind blowing, uh, and and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. <sighs> I yeah, wow. And then, as you say, uh, so unfortunately, Athenu still, still is not taken down. She beats off all three of these immortals. I don't think she kills any of them. I feel like it was implied that the Earl King died, but I might have just made that up. Like it's described as just like being a torched skeleton kind of thing. But I don't yeah, know if that's the Earl King or. Yeah, I think that is the Earl King because Vatarun still manages to do something a little later on. So yeah, I don't. It's a skeleton. So Ebenezer and the Black Staff taking on Athenu. Yeah, as I mean, there's there's very that battle was quite short, but I liked the whole thing of um, I can't remember. I think she was going at him with a spear, but because he's got, I mean, we know that he's got like the whole training and he's very skilled with a quarter staff and all that kind of shit. But just hearing yeah. like how the like F News lunges were kind of superhuman speed and shit like that, and he just batted it off like it was nothing for a few rounds. Um. 
And I like that we got a bit more of him using the black stuff. And I, I mean, feel free to step in here, but I don't think it's fully explained what the black stuff is. We know that using it has its cost. Like the whole description of him, whenever he uses it, he he kind of like feels pain, and the black veins kind of surge up his arms. Yeah. So I don't know if I I don't think it's more than that, really. Yeah. I think that's all we have to go uh, on. I, I mean, I, I keep seeing loads of rumours on like uh, the Dresden Files sub- subreddit and stuff like that um, of it apparently being uh, Mother Winter's walking stick. That would be pretty cool, but would Wait. also make um, Ebenezer a little bit of a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one because I know that I think both Mother Winter and Summer have said that they don't intervene directly with mortals and stuff like that. But, I mean, if if there is any weight to that, it could be seen in the same sort of way as uh, the angel Uriel giving Michael his grace with the whole, like, he's not directly intervening, yeah. just giving Michael the tool to use his legs. So it could be a similar... I mean, if there is any weight to it, similar kind of thing. She's not directly intervening. She's just given Ebenezer a tool to help out. But then... It sounds like it's very much a relic within the Wizard Council. Yeah. As well as like a position within the council. So I don't know. I I, I doubt it would be related to Winter. I think it, I think it would just complicate things at this point in the series if it was. Yeah. Um I mean, a lot of the White Council stuff seems to come from Merlin, so I'm wondering whether it was like Merlin's staff or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that was something I initially was thinking, but and it surely would make sense for the Merlin, like the the one the Wonder Wizard who has the title of the Merlin would surely it would make more sense for them to have the Merlin's staff. Yeah, I I would completely agree with that too. <laughs> then, like, I don't know my like lore or mythology on like Afurian legends and shit when it comes to wizards so hmm. something that Jim Butcher said about it is that the black staff protects you from the, the backlash that a warlock experiences when using black magic yeah that's one of the things I noticed so that's something uh, I guess yeah um Interesting though, definitely interesting. Um, I so I liked that. So you had that moment where like the archive and Ebenezer both like tried to double team Athinu, and mm. she like just like backhands the archive away and focuses in on Ebenezer, which makes yeah. me think that the Black Staff is more powerful than the archive, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I know power scaling in Dresden is. I know I don't think it's something that's that important, but it's implied. I, I know the whole mystery of the Black Staff and what it is. It's very. Not sought after. That's the wrong way of putting it. Do you know? Do you know what I'm trying to say? There's a lot of mystery around it, but whenever it's mentioned, it is mentioned as if being quite a big thing. It's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I think it, it would have to be 
if they were going to bring it into like a mytho- mythological thing, it would have to be like a a really big artifact from like magical history or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Um. So just before that moment, actually, something that we didn't touch upon was, um, so Harry is there about to call uh, Titania, and Athenu is bearing down on him, uh, ready to. Uh, there's a there's a great moment where like he kind of has a bit of banter with her, and she starts kind of laughing because she's like, "Look at me, like a, a titan talking to a bug, like a an ant." Like you, yeah. kind of thing, um, which made me made me think a little bit of Doctor Manhattan in Watchmen, um, with Ozymandias, where he's like, the uh, the world's most intelligent human is uh, means as much to me as the world's most intelligent beetle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's a bit of posturing and stuff, and then she's like, "I'm a hundred percent just killing you now because you mean nothing to me." And Harry's like, there is nothing I can do now. That's it. Game over. <laughs> and then Butters steps in with his sword. And, well, there's so and... many moments like that for Butters where he kind of stands in between X and X and is like, you shall not pass, basically. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of his thing, I guess. <laughs> that's kind of the knights in general, aren't they? Like They, they stand in when things are about to get... Yeah. Something wrong is about to happen. But I like as well. I mean, you were probably going there with this. He he tries to give the whole redemption speech to her. Yeah. So I was just gonna say. So uh, something that we've we've seen Michael do it, I think. Mm. But I don't think we've seen Sanya do it yet. But God, with a capital G, yeah, speaks through butters. Hmm. Um, and there's a great moment where the Abrahamic god and Athenu have a bit of back and forth for a minute. Yeah. Which, it's very rare that an author goes into writing about the Abrahamic god. It's it's kind of like another step above like writing about like Odin or Zeus. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. I feel it's more of a taboo with the big G. Yeah. Do you think it was done well here? I think so. Like it definitely served the plot, I guess you could say. Like it made sense within the narrative and all that kind of shite. I think it's the first time I've seen it done where it didn't immediately take all stakes away. Yeah. Like, it, it, basically what the Abrahamic God says is, I'm giving them a chance against you, not mm. um, I'm giving them free will and a chance to do something, not that they're going to win, um, which I thought was really interesting. Same. And I think that's kind of the, the Dresden Files view on it, is that like religion and religious deities don't solve problems they just give you tools yeah almost uh which 
that's a I think that's a more modern approach to theology. Um, that it also, uh, it's, it's it's interesting to see that Jim's taking it to that place. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was trying to remember what I was going to say, but forgot. Um, it's okay. Um, so yeah, uh, and also I really like James Master's God voice. It's very fun. Man, um, I just so love if you voice in every character. It, it works so well. James Master's knocks it out of the park in this one. He really does. Agreed. So uh, Ebenezer turns up. And along with him is Marcone, who has gone through something very similar to Dresden and has his own uh, intellectus uh, and his own kind of Chicago mob behind him. Uh, and they go, they all go into battle. And one thing I love here is the description of Marcone. He has like freaking Blackbeard on the deck of his ship, uh, <laughs> has pistol like old flintlock pistols loaded with different ammunition ready yeah. to go um which is insane um but i i was absolutely on board for that same very cool <laughs> <laughs> uh and then guard and hendrix step up uh, and you were saying that you quite enjoyed this bit yeah just like because i completely forgotten about them yeah. Like everything everything before this moment was very much like everything was ramped up to like eleven spinal tap reference for you. And it was just so much going on that I can I kept forgetting like everything else, like the people that weren't there and all that kind of stuff. I just kind of assumed, oh, they're dealing with like some other shit in Chicago. Like dwindling down the mm -hmm. the foam wars, like forces and stuff like that. So when they showed up, I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot about them all." There, there is a bit of a trope in fiction of like Magneto kind of has like Sabretooth and Mystique, like his very like inner inner circle of of allies. Um, I suppose a bit like Apocalypse from the X Men universe as well, and his Horsemen, mm. uh, Thanos and the Black Order. Um, even like the, the Eye of Sauron kind of has his generals and stuff uh, in the form of like Saruman and, and things like that from Lord of the Rings. Um, and we get our first death of like death of a major, of like a, a long-term bad guy. But I say bad guy in quotations. Uh, and yeah, uh, Hendrix and Guard go up against Athenu, and Hendrix is killed protecting Guard. Yeah, gets impaled on the spear, doesn't he? Yeah. I think he was protecting Marcone. What was your thoughts there? Um, I think it protecting it's... Marcone? I thought it was protecting Guard. I mean, I could be wrong. Some will probably call us out on it, so cover both bases. My my memory of it is that Marcone is backing away, but he's like on the ground, and the spear is going for him. Yeah. And Hendrix kind of dies in front of it, which kind of skews the um spear ever so slightly as well to miss Marcone. But I mean, it kills him in the process. But um, I mean, I didn't see this one coming. I mean, we'll get to it in a sec. But I was expecting Marcone to either die or come out. You know, with a leg missing or something stupid. But um, yeah, you know, I think 
I think if Hendricks died before Murphy, it would have had a bit more impact for me. But I mean, I still appreciate it. Not appreciate it's the wrong word. I still appreciated it. But um, and I was still like, oh shit, because like you say, he's a long-standing character. He's been around since the first book. Um, he's a pretty heavy player for a model yeah. as well. Um, and it, definitely one of the most underrated deaths of the series. <laughs> It is very much kind of pushed to the side, I felt. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, I think after having such a big like character death with Murphy, I think, I mean, to be fair, I think you could have killed off like, I know, like Michael Carpenter and it probably wouldn't have been as big. Like it still would have had an impact, but. We'll talk about that when we get to the big fight with Ethinu, because yeah. that's what I want to say from that. <laughs> um, yeah, what did you um, think of uh, Hendrix's Nathan Hendrix's death? So, so my my running theory. So the final thing that we're going to talk about uh, is kind of what's next for the series. And my kind of running theory is that this is all going down now to Marco and V Dresden. Yeah. Um. And part of that, you need a... So they're, they're on parallel paths, right? So Dresden just lost someone. So now Marcon should really lose someone because their paths are very similar in a lot of ways. We're seeing them here, like each of them are so connected to the city. Each of them have mm. learned about the magical world. Each of them have made deals and stuff. Um, we'll, we'll kind of... And I think this here is like... Sorry, um, I was agreeing with you, but I mean the the point I was going to make in in terms of like their kind of past being parallel is uh, you've got Marcone who up until this point is stockholding, like and building his like power base in Chicago and all that kind of shit, stockpiling weapons, and that's pretty much where Harry is at the end of this story. Um, whereas, yeah, you know, he's build like trying to build, I guess, more of a solid power base within his position um something he's not experienced with but the contrast that you've got marcone and again we'll go into this a bit more in a moment marcone is we find out is practicing like sorcery and he's not as and that's something i like as well and again actually i'll say that when we get into it but he's practicing sorcery whereas yeah it's, it's kind of opposites so harry isn't good at the political stuff marcone is harry is better <laughs> at sorcery and magic as opposed to Marcone, yeah. who's just started dabbling in it. So you, I think you're right in that. Eventually, they are, and I think that's done as well. They have a bit of a bicker at the start of the book, where Harry's like, "One, one of these days, I'm gonna fucking take you down." Yeah, there's a great bit uh, right at the start after the the War Council, where Harry's changing into his old duster, uh, and he's like, "It's typical gear," uh, and. The only other person in the changing room is Marcone. Um, and yeah, there's just a minute where it's like, we're still not good. Mm. <laughs> like, we're, there's, there's still a score to settle here. Um, which, yeah, I think... I, I, I'll talk about it as, as we go on, but 
there isn't really a way now that I can see where Jim could step up the action. Yeah. Past this, I mean, it's it's a book that's wall to wall action. There's no more room for action, so you couldn't really do more action. I think what it's going to come down to is the personal aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and what it what the fight means to Dresden, and I think the only person that Dresden could fight that could hit him on that level, I really believe, is Marcone and. With, and Hendrix's death, I think, is going to change Marcone a little bit more. I think it's going to make him a little bit darker in a way because Hendrix is someone yeah. that's been with him for for so long, um, and I feel that Hendrix did did seem to have some sort of honor code, and yeah. I wonder if it, how much of that was a stabilizing presence to Marcone or not. Um, as much as Murphy was a stabilizing presence to, to Dresden, so it could it could get very very interesting, I think. Definitely uh, between them. Uh, on so um, so that all goes down uh, between absolutely everyone working together. They managed to get uh, a thin new down she loses a leg i think i think they i think she loses uh, i think they axe it up or sword it up a bit and it's just kind of like still there but a bit like crippled i suppose yeah uh, there's a great bit where he's talking about like how easily she adapts to it and like it looks as though she was always designed to move around on three limbs which i thought yeah. was really interesting um so, anyway, th- by through that, um, uh, the eye of Baylor gets knocked out, and I think that's by Vatarung. Uh, so Athinu takes Vatarung's uh, lightning spear, um, and uh, uh, so she's using it to take people down. Vatarung then uh, becomes conscious uh, and calls his spear back to himself. Uh, mm. And part of that, he drags it through the eye of Baylor, uh, dislodging it essentially. Uh, Marcone and Dresden both see this and start running with the eye down to the waterfront um, because the big game plan is. If they can get Athenu down to the waterfront, then Harry can use Demon Reach to bind Athenu down uh, mm. and imprison her permanently, like he did to Thomas, I guess. Uh, so it uh, so it turns into this like chase sequence where Marcone and Harry are running through Chicago against a like twenty foot, uh, slightly crippled Titan. Um, as all the rest of the Dresden Files gang are doing everything in their power to try and slow her down. And really, the truth is, they don't have much power to do that. Yeah. Um, so we get to the waterfront, and Marcone is like, set up whatever you need set up. Harry actually uh, borrows Bob from Butters uh, to help him set up the circle. Uh, so Bob and Harry are trying to set up the circle while they're doing that. Marcone goes toe-to-toe with a titan 
Oh my god. Uh, and so she's bearing down on him with all this titanic power and he just pulls out a knife. Yeah, it's just a little combat knife, isn't it? I say yeah. little, little compared to all the other weapons we've seen. Uh, Athenu just laughs uh, giddy and is just like, what even are you? Um she uh she lifts Marcone up and with barely even an effort just breaks his neck. Uh, I think she and I, and I was his head all the way around, doesn't she? Yes, yeah. Which is pretty brutal. Uh and Marcone drops to the ground and it got me. Yeah, I, I think that's when I messaged you. I was trying to think of like a cool pun, but I think I just settled with saying holy macaroni. Right in big yeah. capital letters. And then, yeah, fuck. Um, and it was like, okay, so Marcone is is dead, uh, but he died protecting Harry, which would have also been a fitting death in a way. Yeah. Like a, a last moment of goodness, I guess. Um, and I think Jim does a really good job of faking us out here, because... Dresden stops the ritual he's planning to run over to Marcone so he doesn't die alone. Yeah, I like that especially. It kind of goes uh, back to what we were saying, like in, in his appearance in um, the first three books that we've covered so far, it goes down to that kind of mutual respect. Yeah. Like they are against each other, uh, but at the end of the day, they have that in common at least. Yeah, I, and I think that that's like that's almost like a nemesis kind of trope, isn't it? Like yeah. Batman and the Joker, or um, Harry and Voldemort. I guess they kind of have this like mutual respect for each other. Mm. Um, and yeah, so uh, it's at that point as Athenu starts to round on Harry that he hears Marcone speak and say. Oh, Harry, you didn't think I'd stop at Baron of Chicago, did you? <laughs> As he gets up, puts his head back in place, and it is eyes, revealed that eyes are glowing purple. Is, eyes are glowing purple, and he is bound to Thorned Nanshell, one of the Denarians. Oh, yes. Um, in fact, the denarian that is the most talented with magic, I believe. I believe so. Um, and then Marcone starts just ripping spell after spell off. Um, which is insane. Uh, I mean, Harry says that he probably doesn't, that Marcone probably doesn't have the experience of magic use that Harry does but some of the spells that he's pulling off are things that Harry only knew about theoretically yeah I'll cut this bit Rob yeah no worries to the book it's the marketing one so I want hello okay sorry uh uh, so going some theoretically, um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to do some a shit ton of editing on this. Uh, It'll be worth it. Um, it really will. Um, 
so yeah, so uh, pulling off uh, uh, spells that Harry only used theoretically, which is uh, insane. He starts doing these, this teleportation setup where he's like designated three different areas and he's moving between the three of them around Ethinu to attack her from all sides. Um, and he and he distracts her at least. He doesn't hold his own, but he distracts her for long enough. Uh, for Harry and Bob to start a binding, mm. um, and the other the other aspect as well is that the combat knife that he used was demonic, which meant that it could pierce Athenu, which meant that Harry could get some blood of hers, which he needed for the binding. Um, so Harry starts up doing the old binding with Bob, and him and Athenu go toe to toe, toe to toe, will against will. Um, and Harry is wiping the floor with her. Uh, he has had enough of her shit, and he's lost Murphy. He wants to protect Maggie. Uh, he wants to protect all of his friends, in fact. He wants to protect Chicago, uh, and his will is roaring with power, which is when Athinu kicks in with an absolute gut punch. Um, and shows Harry something from earlier that evening, which is where uh, the uh, the commander of the mercenaries, Listen, took yep. a group of humans to the Carpenter household and massacred the Carpenter family, including his daughter, Maggie. And that works with everything that we've been told so far uh, about the, the Carpenter household, Anything supernatural that gets involved there, the angels will intervene. Anything that's human, that's free will. Angels can't do shit. So a bunch of human mercenaries rocking up. Uh, it's going to be a bad time. Uh, Michael Carpenter, we see through... So uh, Athinu is mind-linked kind of with Harry. We see through her eyes that she was mind-linked with one of the assassins. Um we see Michael Carpenter standing his ground, uh, fighting for his life and falling. We see the kids cowering as uh, the assassins enter the like secret space in the Carpenter household. And Harry sees Maggie dead. This hit me almost as hard as Murph. Yeah. The way that it is described, Jim does not pull his punch here. No. At all. It's it was pretty bleak and the the interesting thing is that I think when Harry had his realization in a moment, I had it like literally about a second before. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was so impressed with myself. Oh man. <laughs> the the only thing that I thought was there were meant to be people down the road. I knew that. Mm. And like I didn't I didn't get why the winter court hadn't intervened. I was like, well maybe they were in the battle or whatever, but Yeah. Um So the big tip off is Mouse, Harry's dog. Uh, is inseparable from Maggie, and he was left to protect her. Um, 
Mouse is not in that fight in any shape or form. Uh, and that entire sequence was an illusion set up by Molly Carpenter, uh, the Winter Lady, um, to fool anyone that came to try and wipe out the Carpenter family. Uh, she moved all the Carpenters to a safe house that she had on the same street um, and let the mercenaries believe that they had done their job correctly. Which, whew, that Molly, she's a smart one. Um, did you, so how did you feel reading that bit? Right. I mean, like I said just a moment ago, I think about a second before Harry calls out the illusion saying that, you know, Mouse wasn't there, um, he would, he definitely, you know, you would have had some trouble taking down Mouse. It is possible. You, it might still have had the same outcome. I was like, where's Mouse? <laughs> and then I, I loved the whole moment where he calls her out on it and just F news like, for fuck's sake. Because <laughs> I think my favorite part is from the first moment where they make her bleed. It's that kind yeah. of like classic thing where it's like, oh, if you make a god bleed, then yeah. Um, and it's just like from that moment, it's just like they they one up her at like almost every corner. She thinks that like she kind of turns the tables a bit and is like, I have the upper hand now. And then like someone pulls something out of the bag, and she's just like. And it is. I like that. It's she's this big, awesome, powerful threat, but they're proving that like we can deal with you. <laughs> You're not all that. Yeah. I think something else that Harry says is that she's like a titan that hasn't really had much experience, so she's yeah. used to like winning. Yeah. Uh, so she doesn't expect people to pull things out. I mean, I think that was um, kind of described. I think just before um, uh, she snaps Marcone's neck, she knows that Harry is around, sneaking around, but doesn't know where. Yeah. And he he was saying that like, if she had turned around and just thrown the rock at him, knowing where he was, it would have been more calm and probably would have killed him. But because yeah. she, he, he tripped on like a rock or something himself. She like proper turned around, and like basically gave Harry enough time to like kind of deal with that attack. Yeah, so, guess, so she she kind point, of wants to brag and boast and. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess at this point in the in the battle, she's very much everything is a desperate attack made purely on rage. Yeah, there's a lot of like pride at work and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. I guess a good yeah, comparison so, uh, is uh, Dragon Ball Z, the fight with Freezer, where he's like so above everyone else yeah. and knows it that he can't really see past his pride. And the fact yes. that lower beings are getting one up on him is fucking him off even more to the point where he can't think. Definitely. It, it just like completely turns their whole like view on life around I guess yeah um yeah uh so Harry completes the binding ritual and Athenu is 
brought screaming to Demon Reach uh, and imprisoned permanently. Love it. Uh, it's fantastic. And there's a great moment where, uh, so that happens, but Demon Reach has to exert so much power that he causes like a tidal wave. Yeah. Um, and it looks like Harry's going to die. There, There is a moment where it's like, Harry is going to die and Marcone saves him. Mm. Um, and even with the Eye of Baylor as well, Harry's like that. So, so yeah, Marcone saves him. The the wave recedes, and left between Harry and Marcone is the Eye of Baylor, which is this huge magical nuke, essentially. Yeah. Um, and Harry is like. It's, this is about to be a fight. This is about to be a fight to the death between me and Marco. Um, and there's a moment where like they're both eyeing each other up. Yeah. And Marco, Marco says, "Take it." Um. And that, I don't know that that was a crazy moment for me in a way because it's like. I think Marcone would have won that. I uh, yeah, I think at that point definitely. And I found that quite interesting because on one on one side of things I was surprised he didn't take it. But then you look at the forces at play here and how everyone everyone's going to be wanting that eye. The White Council is going to want it for whatever stupid shit they do. Winter's going to want it because of yeah. whatever they do, etc., etc. Um and the same with Marcone, and I don't know if it's ever made clear that like the other members of the Accords know about the whole um, Denarian coin with Marcone. But I mean, if we go on the assumption that they don't know, then it makes Marcone an easy target. Plus, he's just lost one of his personal bodyguards. Um, yeah, and it would cause him to lose a lot of influence and power if he took it. So I think he was kind of leaving it out. For that factor, and also, I mean, later on towards the end, there's the whole meeting of the members of the Accords and stuff like that. And I think he was going to try and black use it to like blackmail or affect Harry's position in that meeting. Yes. Um, but I think it. I mean, it's talked about later how it, it, in some ways it works out better, in some ways it works out worse for both of them that yeah. Harry has it. Definitely. Um, which I think it's it's an interesting play from Marcone. Um, and I think as well, Marcone re- realises that there are some things he doesn't really want to touch. Yeah. Or want the Denarians to be able to touch. Um, and the Eye of Baylor is definitely one of those things. <laughs> Um, because I mean, let's not forget Marcone. The last, the last contact he had with the Denarians was, uh, well, the Denarians raided his place in Skin Game, but before that, they took him hostage. Yeah, I mean that's why it was quite interesting because I think they offered him a coin in that book, and yes. he was like, "No thanks." But it's already, it was already hinted to my memory anyway at the end of that. Towards the end, I say, um, 
that Namshul was kind of beginning to work separately anyway from uh, Nicodemus. Yeah. I, I'm very interested. I'm quite interested in the character of Namshul. Uh, I am. And what that will mean. Yeah. I'm wondering what the situation would be if if you're a Denar- if you're someone who wields a denarian coin and the denarian is infected with nemesis that would be interesting are you, are you then infected with nemesis i don't know hmm so we'll have to see on that yeah i feel like um, something we won't really get an answer to but yeah <laughs> uh so Next thing that happens, uh, the magical world kind of pushed the Formorians back as Apache helicopters from the, the good old US government rock up um, and help kind of gun things down. Uh, and then we get, um, well, uh, Goodman Gray rocks up with Justine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Justine is beside herself. First thing I freaking loved was when the war started, the White Court went to go and like protect Justine and yeah. Goodman Grey was like I've got orders to protect her and you guys are technically monsters. I guess I'm just going to have to kill you all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Lara Raves covered in like bruises and scrapes and stuff and it just looks like he's had his ass handed to him a few times. Yeah. Lara Wraith is like, Harry, this guy claims to know you. Uh, why did he kill like 20 of our best vampires? <laughs> uh, and Harry's like, oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So that happens. And then Lara finally cashes in her last favor from Mab, which is that he wishes that he, she wishes Harry to take Justine to the island to see Thomas because she doesn't know what's going on and she's scared, basically. And Justine is very, like, terrified. Harry uh, is like, it's been a whole thing, come on. Can we just, like, have five minutes? And Lara's like, nah, you got to do this now. So Harry's like, fine, come on, let's get in the boat. So they get in a boat. Uh, and Harry goes to have a rest on the boat mm. um, as they get back to Demon Reach. And as he's resting, he thinks back to Thomas. Uh, and he remembers Thomas saying, Justine, it's Justine. Mm. Um, and Harry finally realises that Justine is not who she's saying she is. Justine is infected by Nemesis, the kind of Cthulhu monsters of the the other universes, or like the far dimension. I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> um, and Harry realizes he's got to do something fast because essentially he's lining everything up for a jailbreak here, where yeah. Justine would get on the island and just free everything on Demon Reach. So, uh, 
he confronts her and says, uh, so I guess this was the plan all along kind of thing. Uh, and she takes her true form, I guess, uh, as a nightmarish creature called He Who Walks Beside. Yeah. Uh, so we've seen He Who Walks in Front and He Who Walks Behind. Um, so this, I guess, is the final one, although I, I'm sure there'll be others. Maybe he who walks inside or something like that. <laughs> or he who walks he, within. He who walks on the um, other side. <laughs> he who walks to the shops and back, but nowhere else. Um, he walks the dog. I would love he who walks the dog. It would be the most chill. That's the big, uh, that's the big Ralph reveal. <laughs> it goes by the name of Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah uh and after a very quick do they actually fight or does does no walk I, th- just I think in using justine rips off like a steel pole beam kind of thing and goes to attack yeah. him but harry kind of like just dives back off the boat at the time because they she is distracted long enough that they get onto the territory that counts as Demon Reach. Yeah. So I think at which point because Harry's not there, Demon Reach responds by protecting the island. Yeah. Uh, and imprisons her? Question mark. I thought that was the case, but then it's mentioned at the end that um she got away. As a nemesis is running around in Justine's body. Right. So, yeah, she uh, so she got away, um, and Harry basically, he, well, he says that things kind of turn to a, a blur, doesn't he? Yeah, I guess. Um, and the next couple of days go past. Um, I saw in Daniel Green's review he. He said that he seems to think that like the magical world becoming present in the mortal world was kind of waved off. Um, yeah, it was. It was interesting that it's not a it, outside of Chicago. It was thrown off as a biological weapon going off, and people were just tripping balls. Whereas, yeah, I think the people in Chicago know better. <laughs> I mean, there's still going to be people denying it, aren't there? But. Yeah. Um, I yeah. Sorry, I, I get the feeling that this has revealed magic to Chicago, but not the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, but they also talk about an arm of the. Is it the FBI? Yeah, like a Men in Black kind of situation. Yeah, that will be carefully controlling what's said and what goes out to the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, and that they're going to basically be all over Chicago now. I think that's an interesting thing, because that kind of, it sort of goes back to what we were saying about, um, we'd like the idea of a book where like the culprit is just plain regular human, not doing any magic or anything like that. I mean, it probably yeah. won't be as simple as that, but I mean, I'd quite like that 
where like a looming threat is this division of the FBI. Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to, like, the mortal aspects of the Dresden Files, I was a, I was a bit like, are we just kind of going to be leaving that behind now? Yeah. Um, because when you've got the power levels that were being thrown around here, it's like, really, do police officers and stuff, I mean, uh, I think uh, Stalins and Rudolph kind of proved that, that, like, the police officers didn't really have a dog in this fight. So it's like, they're not really a problem anymore. Yeah. So do we just kind of forget about them or what? And it's like, no, actually, uh, humanity already has a bit of a way of dealing with the magical community and they're going to be on your ass. So that'll be interesting. Oh, and I'm wondering they're... if this will get us back to more of the FBI stuff with uh, from Full Moon. Maybe. I mean, um, kind of going with the trend for changes, I'm expecting... Uh, the next book to really downscale things a bit. Like, uh, we've just had this massive, massive event, so I imagine the next book, or maybe next two books, will probably dial it back a bit. It'd be interesting Very. to see uh, where they go with it. Um, and then, so, uh, so we see that, uh, and then the, there's a final scene. Well, uh, Dresden goes to like a council that has been set up uh, between before the accords that, to talk about. Before that, probably Sorry? worth mentioning, um, he goes to get Murphy's body, and it's gone. Oh yes. Go on. Uh, yeah, basically that. Um, he goes to retrieve Murphy's body. It's gone, and I think is it the symbol of Odin or something? Yeah, it's it's Odin. Yeah, is uh just kind of left in its place and. I can't remember which one of the Valkyrie is there just downing whiskey. But, um... God. Yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was God. It might... I don't know. Either way, uh, Dresden has a conversation with them, and it, it's heavily implied that... Well, actually, it's, it's flat-out said that Murphy is in Valhalla enjoying, like, all the things to the extreme and all that, being treated as a hero. Um, and that sh when, you know, in a hundred years' time, when uh, the mortal memories of her past, she will return as a Valkyrie, which I thought was fucking dope. But yeah, um, and Dresden does the whole thing of like, if if Odin doesn't treat her like the hero and respected woman she is, tell him I'm gonna fuck him up. Yeah, which ooh chills. Now. I feel like that's that's been said, but do you wonder whether Murphy's going to fight her way out for whatever the big fight finale is of the Dresden Files? Yeah, I'm thinking because I mean, if I don't know if it's specified if it was just mortal memories or not, but I mean, either way, yeah, I would I expect there'd be some kind of weird rule bending thing that allows her to just come back as a Valkyrie, maybe in like maybe not the next book, but the book after. I don't know. I I don't think she's I don't think she's gone for good. No, I hope not. If she was, I wouldn't mind it, but I don't I think feel, she is. I feel the whole Valkyrie thing has been kind of teased for quite a while. 
actually where we're up to in grave peril, I suppose. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we wouldn't be surprised if we saw it sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, we were saying that she needed a power boost, and that would be a way to give her a power boost. Yep, definitely. And I suppose if if Marcone's got a Valkyrie, then Dresden needs one too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the next major thing from there is, and it's probably one of my favorite scenes in this book is, uh, the whole like funeral thing, like the great like at Dresden. He has uh, the gravestone that Mavra made for him back in, I think, book six. Um, yeah. It's replaced with like a memorial for those that fell in the battle. And there's a moment where it's just Harry and Michael discussing things, and Michael's being Michael about it. And then Ramirez comes. and I love, I love this. And I love Michael's reaction after it, though, but Ramirez is basically like, we, you know, we, ultimately we voted you off the White Council. Uh, you won't have our protection. You, you can't harass any members of the White Council. You can't practice magic. Um, and if you are, there'll be an executioner sent for you. The executioner in this case is Ebenezer. Um, yeah. And I absolutely love Harry's reaction where, like, Ramirez begins to walk away and Harry's like, no. And it is what is no. Like I'm I'm done with this. I've just I've just taken down the last Titan. I've done everything the council has expected of me. They're not continuing to instruct me and telling me what to do. I will operate in Chicago and do as I please. And I won't bother the council and you won't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's and I mean, what I find interesting is um, Ramirez being, you know, again, bringing up the whole thing of like, oh, you're hanging out with monsters. You're the winter night for crying out loud. You're hanging out with like white court vampires, mab, etc., etc. And giving him, dishing out all this judgment. But then he gets in the car with a fucking former knight of the cross. And it's just kind yeah. of like, if he's hanging out with the knights of the cross as well, how bad can he be? Rob? Yeah. Sorry, I lost you for a second, I think. It's all good. Keep going. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, that was pretty much it. If he's hanging out with Michael, retired Knight of the Cross, he's good friends with Sanya and Butters. How he's, how evil can he be, you know? If he was... I mean, I yeah. guess he's going through what Butters was going through in the previous book. Um, Skin game, I mean. Yeah. But... Yeah. It's a, it's definitely an interesting plot point and a plot point I forgot entirely about. I'm really interested to see how that comes across in his in the next couple of books because it said that like uh, all the enemies he's made are going to know that he's weaker now or something. Yeah, I think that was implied in peace talks when Ebenezer was saying that if you're out of the council, it will have ramifications for you. But I mean, surely it has ramifications for the White Council as well. Because they, like, up until now, they've had a member of the of um, they've had you know, Harry Dresden has been a part of the White Council, and you kind of look at what he's managed to achieve while being a warden alone. He took out the entirety of the Red Court. Um, 
went toe to toe with that last titan and imprisoned it. So if anything, I would have kept him in the White Council, even even if it was a case of keeping a close eye on him again, like with Morgan did. But like just having him still on the council as a kind of I don't know, like don't fuck with the White Council because we got this guy, even if they never contact him or use him. Yeah. Keep your enemies closer, well, I guess. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I get why they did what they did, but I don't think it's going to do any favors for the White Council. Yeah, I think that day's going to be a point where Harry now has to, in some way, defy them, like go up against them. I'm expecting properly. they'll be calling on him for help anyway. Like they'll be like. It'll be similar yeah, to the Black Star. You know how the Black Staff, the whole idea of it is it's like um the White Council's personal hitman that, you know, it can can defy the laws of magic and get away with it. I think they'll be going to him occasionally for that reason, in that he's familiar with them enough to be working with them. But they kind of bend the rules a bit around him, I guess. Yeah. I could almost see like the start of the of maybe not the next book but the book after being that like maybe Ebenezer has been killed and he's called back in to work out the death or mm. something like that and the black staff from that I would I like because I mean this we mentioned I imagine in the next plot point but with Harry kind of taking on the idea of um a bit of a magical alliance with the public, like who have now been introduced to this world. Um, he, I think, he states with uh, Ramirez that he's going to be operating as a wizard in Chicago of Chicago. I'm wondering if, like, that will expand into him forming an actual Grey Council, but like managing to get away with it because it will be under the uh, Accords. Yeah. Be interesting. Absolutely. Hmm. So yeah, so the next scene actually is uh a meeting of the accords where uh we see uh Mab, Marcone, um uh Batarung, um Molly, uh oh Sarissa, I think, is there as well. Yeah, all the usual lot. Sorry? All the usual lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, all basically saying that they need to work out how to deal with the magical uh, the magical and the mortal worlds kind of becoming closer again. Uh, and Harry um, asks that the debts of all the mortals that died uh, well, all those families of the mortals that died are given war guilds uh, for their deaths. Mm. That any like costs are paid for, and that um, that Harry is given back his old house uh, yeah. with the ability to then turn it into some sort of training facility. Yeah. Which makes me feel very much like we're going to get magical 
Xavier's school for the gifted youngsters. Yeah, I was thinking he could probably expand the whole Paranet thing. Yeah. Into a podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, we're all about the Paranet, so that works. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Um, and and his request is granted, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. There's a really great moment where he basically says that they're going to need to start to foster better relationships with humans, and mm. this is part. This is the first step towards that. I feel um, this is him kind of coming into his own a bit with his position in Winter Court. Yeah, because like like you say, up up until up until this moment, he's very much defiant, even in like things like war meetings and stuff like that. Whereas here. I think everyone says their bit, and Harry's just like, "Here's what I'm. Here's what I'm thinking we should do," and surprisingly, everyone supports it, including Mab. I think Mark Home was a bit yes. skeptical. Um, oh, and kind of. Uh, I think it's just before he mentions that and gets back his lab, or it might be after. I forget. Um, I think it's Mark Home brings up the whole thing of uh, the eye, of uh, Balor which Dresden has. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely seen here as being used as a power play. So that if Dresden owned up to it, it would kind of put a target on his back, I guess, and all that kind of shit. But I love that yeah. um, Harry's like, I don't know where it is. And it's very much implied. And I think I think everyone kind of falls for the idea that it is a lost artifact. Someone else has it, but we don't know who. And it's revealed to us yeah. that... Um, Harry gave it to Alfred on Demon Reach and told him to hide it but not tell him, not ever tell him where. Which I thought was a fucking good idea. I think that's that's the best way to do it, really. Oh, yes. Um, I don't think there was a better way, to be honest. Um, yeah, so then the very last scene we get is a couple of weeks later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is it a couple of weeks later? Or is it a couple of days later? Even it's not long. I can't, I can't remember. It's not. It's not too long. Uh, and uh, Molly, Lara, Race, and Mab are over at Harry at Harry's new place that he's still he's setting up, and Mab mentions that. Uh, her next duty for Harry is to take Lara Wraith's hand in marriage. Yep. That that was a shock. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the view to com- like basically joining the Winter Court and the White uh, yeah, the Winter Court and the White Court of Vampires mm. uh, into a stronger alliance. Uh, Lara Wraith and Molly both intervene and are like Harry has just lost his partner, Murphy he's gonna need some time before he can do this so Mab gives him a a year to grieve and then in one year he is gonna have to marry Lara Wraith yep (laughs) I think that'll be interesting because I mean whether it happens or not is going to create a fun dynamic between the two. 
they've already got quite a fun dynamic. Yeah. In fairness. So yeah. True. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that works. Yeah, just in lots of different ways. Mm. Uh, and so Harry's kind of reeling from that. And then uh, the last scene is that Harry and Molly are going to the Carpenter household. So like, uh, Harry can see Maggie. And so that Molly can finally tell uh, her parents that she is... A, the winter lady they uh, they get in the car Molly is beside herself nervous they get all the way to the, the carpenter household they knock on the door Molly is like dad I, I really need to talk to you about this there's something really serious and Michael is like uh, is this about you being the winter lady we already knew <laughs> there's still a place for you at the table uh, and Molly breaks down basically um, and there's a great scene where like, basically Michael's like yeah we'll have to we've got some questions we've got some concerns but um, me and your mum love you to bits and we'd rather you were just around as the winter lady than not around as our daughter yeah um, which is it's quite beautiful. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, and that is that's pretty much the end of the book. Yeah, I I just realised there's something we completely forgot to mention. Which is when, um, when uh, Harry gets back in the car after talking to Ramirez and tells Michael that the uh, White Council have voted him out, and Michael's reaction. Yes, so I even I even joked that I love that bit. Um, yeah, Michael's reaction to the White Council is a. I think the only word is tirade of abuse. <laughs> yeah, um, he go, he just goes off on one effing and jeffing about them. But I I think it's like Harry's just like I sat there for about ten minutes, <laughs> and Michael's just swearing them down like, oh man, and I feel. I feel if Ramirez heard any of it, it would be taken as a kind of, we've made a mistake. If the Knight of the Cross is swearing at us for kicking Harry Dresden out, you know, <laughs> we've done yeah. wrong. But um, I like that after swearing his mouth off, um, Michael just like then starts praying for forgiveness. The Him saying that he'll take the penance. Yeah, that sometimes yeah. these things are necessary. I enjoyed that too, definitely. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, that that is a great little moment. So I think that that covers just about everything in Battleground. Yeah, I mean, this definitely makes it our longest episode at like two and a half hours. In total. Yeah. <laughs> so, two things. First one favorite moment second one where do you think the series is going to go next my favorite moment i mean i wouldn't say it's my favorite moment but it's probably my standout moment just because i like i didn't expect it as early on as it as you know we got it but murphy's death 
Okay. Um, God, it feels yeah, wrong saying it, it's it's probably the most memorable part of the book for me. And like we said yeah. about Hendrix's death, it's very much. It feels like it should be bigger, but it's very much overshadowed by Murphy's death. If Murphy hadn't died, I reckon his death would have made a big, like, quite a big impact. Yeah. I also feel if um, he didn't jump in front of a spear and knew that uh, Marcone had one of the uh, Denarian coins, he probably wouldn't have dived in front of it. <laughs> Just <yeah>. saying. <laughs> <laughs> What, what about you? Um, my my favorite moment will be from from when Mab starts the charge of winter, all oh. the way through to her uh, defiance against the eye of ba- uh, Baylor Falor. Um, Mab has been a really interesting character for a long long time um but we've never really seen what she can do and what she's made of i guess like it we're told to respect her but we don't know why 100 yeah. percent. uh and this just shows it in spades um and shows what fighting on that level of power looks like which is incredible um and some of the description the description of the first charge um is incredible incredible piece of writing Mm. um and shows jim butcher at at some of his best um i also think the reveal of marcone's denarian um i think it was done masterfully i'm not sure about the plot point yet i'm interested to see where that goes in the future uh, but right now, yes, I think it was done really, really well. Something worth pointing out, and this kind of goes back to the parallel thing between Marcone and Dresden as well, is um, uh, Marcone and Namshil came across very much as they are in more of a partnership, similar to uh, Harry and Lash. Yeah. Like, Marcone is very much still Marcone. Marcone. Yeah, which makes me think that he could probably just, like, if he doesn't want the coin anymore, he can just easily as discard it as, well, I don't know, someone that can discard it. Like, I can't, I can't see him being reliant on it much like all the other hosts. You can't see him going full golem. Yeah, pretty much. Like, you know how um, <laughs> I can't remember which one it is in book five who loses the coin and he's like basically shaking back and forth being like i i must have the coin and yeah he yeah. pops up like a book a couple of books later being like oh, where where's my coin i need it and yeah yeah i can't see Marcone being like that so i reckon either he's got some kind of badass really cool partnership like harry unlash but a bit more a bit more, I guess, than than what that was, or they're just going to give him the will, like he has a greater willpower than the Denarian itself. Yeah. Either way, I can I'm psyched. Um. So, 
what's our future predictions? What's your predictions for the rest for the next book? Oh man. Um apparently the next book has a title already. And it has Is done for Yeah, like I mean I was looking into it this morning because people kept referring to like, oh, this will be interesting for the title of this book. And so I did some like searching into it and apparently like the title of it's been around for years and it was meant to be the book after Peace Talks before it was split into two books. But apparently, um, I don't know if this will change either, but apparently the next book is called Mirror Mirror. Which... Okay. I mean, there's <laughs> very little to go on, but from having this in long-ass talk, at the moment I'm linking it to uh, The Black Court. Okay. Just because of the whichever one it was, whichever warden was thrown into the dark dimension thing. Um, and Black Court vampires being very similar to the uh, Bram Stoker vampires, Stoker vampires, of, uh, you know, not visible reflections and shit like that. So, I mean, I, I'm drawing, I'm clutching at, like, <laughs> very fine hairs. But, yeah. Yeah. That's the only link I could kind of make between them. I could be wrong. And I probably am, but you know, we'll find out one day. But I'm hoping the next book will either be Dragons or Black Court. I, I don't care which anymore. I I need Dragons. <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and and actually I'm gonna stick with what I said earlier. I think the next book is gonna be, uh. So Something around the uh, something around Ebenezer either needing help or being in danger. Yeah. Um, and Harry having to do something to help him. Mm. I think we're going to see more of Maggie, and if she's got powers. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, it could be that Maggie starts developing a bit of magic and shit, and that draws the attention of the White Council. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and I think if we have the White Council in some kind of antagonistic form, I reckon it would be Harry kind of either calling them out or challenging the whole idea of, you know, like they executed kids in the past that had just. You know, made mistakes with magic because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So I think that's very much a factor we should consider. Yeah. I don't think there'll be a big. I don't think it'll be a big fighty one. No. I think it's going to be a slower book. I'm, I'm uh, kind of with so. a title. Yeah, me too. I, I think we need a we need a breather now. Um, yeah. <laughs> like like. Like with uh, with changes and then going into ghost story, um, so yeah, I I don't really want more with the Knights of the Cross. I want them to go away for a while. Yeah. Um, just because we've had a lot with them for for a little while. Um, I'd also really like to see something with Elaine and yeah. Harry's past. Um, s something with 
uh, Justin Demorne would be really interesting. Um, and he obviously had some connection with the Outsiders. I could see there being something with Justin Dumont and Harry's mother and learning about Harry's father's death and like something more personal to like the Dresden family. Yeah. Um, and I wonder whether like Mirror Mirror, if that's going to be something about like uh, some ability to look into the past or something like yeah. through a mirror. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, and also with the idea of like, because Mirror Mirror on the Wall, that's from Snow White, and that's all about like a young girl and all the people being jealous. So maybe there's something about Maggie and people trying to hunt Maggie down or Maggie being powerful and needing to be protected. I'm not sure. I think there's something there, but. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I think that is everything, absolutely everything, in a two and a half hour blockbuster episode. Um, do you have anything else you want to throw in, Rob? Thankfully not. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to take us out? Uh, yeah. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. It is a long one. So, in a way, we apologise, but I hope we grabbed as much content from Battleground as we could for you to enjoy. Um, if you've got any theories of where the show, where you, the show, where you think the book series will go next, or anything like that, uh, maybe don't send us a uh, public message on Twitter or anything, just in case it ruins it for anyone else. But feel free to DM us uh, or email us, and we'll mention it in the podcast at some point when it's fairly safe to do so um yeah i'd really like to do like a fan a fan theories episode or something would be really cool yeah i was thinking that would be a really cool thing to do so i mean maybe send us your thoughts and everything in regards to where the series going any any theories you have just so we can get some ideas going for a fan theory special i guess we can do that we'll do anything (laughs) um But yeah, uh, again, hope you've enjoyed it. And until next time, crack open a can of Coke. You have been listening to the Paranet Podcast with Rob Davis. Forgot my own name there. And Patrick Lunn. And if I was a vi- if I was an instrument in the Dresden Files, I would be the guitar that Lash taught Harry to play. Check and mate, my friend. Yep, yeah, fair enough. Well, uh, fuck you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.